And when people act like you're putting upon your children some unrighteous expectation, they got to be free. They got to be themselves. But you're just violating scripture. You're just putting the finger up to God. You know, we're not going to do what you want. No, this is the job description. This is what we're called to do. This is part of the man of God is that he does this in his home. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good day, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little bit bummed out. My wife just texted me that she's at the shop and... uh, You found a better model. I may have backed the car into the corner of the garage and crunched the lift gate on her expensive car, costing us thousands of dollars. That might have happened recently. That's a bummer. Yeah. The great thing is that I'd recently learned that, you know, the microbreweries, how everybody loves a microbrewery. Uh-huh. You ever heard of that? Do you know what that is? I love a microbrewery. Okay. So we we have some of these in my fair town. And um Rheingeist. That's one of them. And there's Magic. another one. There's another one nearby me that they have become this seems increasingly popular. Can we bring the masses of families to the beer halls and make it seem like this is a family thing to for everyone to imbibe of alcohol together? Let's make it a family event. So this is what this this uh, place near me has done. They have a huge like outdoor seating area and, you know, they've got cornhole going during the summer. So they've with this outdoor area, they have poured themselves a little ice skating rink. Oh, that's cool. So uh, now we have a place to go besides our overpriced and tightly controlled downtown skating rink that's on the in the big fountain square. Is go. it cold enough in Cincinnati to ice skate outside right now? I think it's cold enough to maintain a sheet of ice. Um, and that's about it. I'll tell you something else about my fair city. We must be right in between where the climates of the earth come together. If you could see us in one of those maps that has the, this is the orange area and this is the red area. We must be right where those lines commence because they promise us scads of snow about every 10 days. And we have yet to have a snow that sticks on the ground. And we're here in, checking my watch, mid-January. And it's ridiculous and frustrating. It could be worse. We have had about the same amount of snow as you. And we live in an economy that is largely built on the ski. Oh, no. So our ski resorts are not popping this year. Oh, I didn't know that. You guys are low on snow. We're low low on water, dangerously low, because normally all of the water for our year comes in the winter. No kidding. I can remember twice last summer that it rained. So we just thought, well, thank God winter's coming. And then... It's really only snowed once or twice all winter in my at my house. It's snowed a little more up high, but we're at about 10% of average right now. I'll be darn. Well, that's a shame. So if you go up in the mountains where you usually ski, is there skiing there? Yeah, so there's a lot of artificial snowmaking. And you can go ski in the backcountry where there's no artificial snow if you get high enough. Um, it's just not... there's a lot of rocks and things sticking out. We enjoyed some artificial snow just this past week. We went to the local fake snow hill and we did, we did a little some snow tubing. So we've, we felt winterized a little bit there, even though there's no snow anywhere around our homes. Don't know what to tell you. I, I enjoy the fact that there's not a ton of snow at my house, but it is a little bit problematic for my local economy. You enjoy I, that there's not snow around your house? Yes. I don't want to shovel every day. <laughs> well, every day, but wouldn't you like an, wouldn't you like a layer that's the, that's, I don't know, that you've got, you already shoveled out of that you just get to sit there and enjoy and the kids get to enjoy? No, uh, you don't care. If I could have California weather, 
with ski mountains accessible by car, that would be ideal. You know what you are? You've been ruined and spoiled by the snow around you. I can see it in the way that you speak. You don't appreciate snow. You shouldn't, you don't deserve the snow that you do get. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe God's turning down the snow in Utah because you people have come to a place where you don't appreciate snow anymore. So he says, fine. Think that it might be happening. True. When we first moved out here, if it snowed two inches, it was like, there's nothing that's going to stop me from being at the ski hill. <laughs> yes. And now it's like, oh, it only snowed 11 inches. That's not even enough to... <laughs> To not feel the bottom I, I think i'll stay home <laughs> i want the deep powder man okay what, what are we uh now that the banter section is is starting to wind down i'm sure we'll get back to it in a second <laughs> after i attempt to start the podcast the, you know what makes foreplay unsexy is if you talk about foreplay and you go this is foreplay now isn't it and that 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 destroys the feeling similarly you and I can't talk casually without you calling it banter and it destroys it. Am I right? I'm looking at all of our listeners right now. Am I right? Doesn't it destroy it for us? Now we want a, we want a free flowing conversation that goes from the mundane uh, minutia of life flowing right into biblical truth. That's what well, I can tell you listeners. The, the reason I'm wired to push us towards starting, and Stephen, you'll affirm this, is yeah, because sure I will. if I don't have a timer running, you know, I'll just keep talking. Okay, that's for, true. Forever. That's, that's true. I don't I don't mind you moving me along. Let's just try to excise the word banter from okay. when, when we actually do banter. Let's try to just try to make that invisible to the people. We're, we're going to be more professional, everyone. And by the way, I have a new thing that we're rolling out for our little podcast because some I know some of you, you tune in because you want technical financial advice and some of you tune in because you want soft skills of like leadership um, talk. So what's going to happen from here on out is when you look at our weekly titles for our uh, for our little podcast, you're going to see a heading in all bold. You'll either see finance, colon, and then the title of whatever we're talking about, or you'll see leadership, colon, and then whatever we're talking about, or you'll see miscellany or grab bag or other, colon, and then whatever we're talking about. So we, we do reserve the right to uh, talk about something that's neither of those things, but the lion's share of what we talk about is going to be finance or leadership. So we're going to help you out there. Can we call it household? Households, finance or households? Run your home and your dough. That's what we're trying to do. We should either have it be home or dough. Oh, okay. This is a deal. You're watching Leadership Happen live right here on the podcast. So it's not going to be, uh, what did I call it? Leadership. No, now it's home. It's home. It's either finance or home. You'll notice that this week's We've already titled it. We did it. We called it HOME in all caps and then the, and then whatever I'm going to title this. But here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about eldership, um, specifically church leadership. What does that have to do with me, you might say? I'm not, I don't work for a church. I'm not part of First Baptist of any town USA. I don't have ambitions of working for a church. I don't even run a house church. Uh, I don't run groups out of my house. So why are you presenting this to me? I'll tell you why, my friend, because there's an organism that wraps all the way around the globe. I know that there are some tribes where his name is not known. We're working on that. The Baptists especially are working on that. Bless you, Baptists. But there's this organism that goes around the earth. That's called the church. The smallest unit of that church is not wherever I've been to these huts. I've been outside Meru in Kenya in the middle of nowhere where there's a little mud hut and there's a cross attached to that mud hut. That's not the smallest unit of the church. The smallest unit of the church is a family. It's a household. Each household is an outpost of the kingdom. And when these kingdoms and when these when these outposts come together and combine, the relationship between them becomes a congregation, the relationship between these homes. And biblically, the way that it works, I know this might not work in any town South Africa, 
It might not work this way there, but the way it works biblically is a handful of local families come together and they start communing together as, if you will, an organization, a little congregation where it's a collection of families. It would stand to reason that the leaders of those homes would probably be the leaders of that congregation. So the men would come together as the leaders and they would talk about how, how are we going to do this? If we pool our money together, what should we give our money to? Do we have any sort of local standards for interfacing with the godless culture around us, et cetera, et cetera? You know, you didn't, you didn't tune in uh, interested in church. You're interested in home. All that to say, the way that you lead your home, you could properly be called the pastor of your home. Indeed, if you are the father of family, you are the pastor of that home. Pastor means shepherd and nothing more, scripturally, by the way. It, it doesn't mean a guy who stands at the front and talks. It doesn't mean that your name's on a marquee. It doesn't mean that you call yourself a reverend. It just means a shepherd. So inasmuch as my older daughter looks after my younger daughter, she's her shepherd. She's her pastor. They're interchangeable words. So you are the pastor of your home. You're the pastor of your wife. You're the pastor of your children. And you lead, I'm not asking you your opinion on this, you lead the smallest category of church that there is, is, in, is under your home. So I, I'm continually trying to ring that bell for men so that they understand the weight and responsibility that's on them, also the authority that they have. A lot of times when our kids walk in the door and they tell us some new dumb thing that's come from school or from their friends or some new godless idea running through the culture, a lot of times our tendency is to shrug our shoulder and go, I wonder what the pastor would say. And we, we mean the guy that stands up at the front and who's been to seminary school and done that book learning. You have, if you have a Bible, you have everything that you need so that you can judge and so that you can, and you might need some experience, you might need some training, but authority wise, you got all you need to, uh, to rule. So I want to talk about this. I want to talk about where these things collide, where eldership and leadership and home management and pastoring where those things collide. And, and I believe that uh, we, we have jettisoned um, and vacated our post in many ways because we have just exported those things. We want to zoom in our pastor, our children's workers, whatever we want. We want to just zoom them in to do the work that's actually our job. Not that, not that delegating is wrong, but uh, it's not their job. It's our job. Mark, have I framed up the issue? Yes, we're going to talk about leadership of the home as a version of of eldering in your own smallest unit of the church. Is that is that a good? No, that's right. That, that that's right. That's right. And I mean, I'm also interested in how that. Let's say you're good at it locally. I'm interested in how how does that play in the wider world. Also, I'm interested. And okay, if that qualifies me for um, participating in congregational life, how does that play? Could I take a quick backup and just... Let's do it. Let's back that thing up. One thing, my men's group, if you don't know what a men's group is, you can go back and listen to an episode we did a few months ago on how to create a great men's group. What we're doing this month is studying the ecclesia in scripture. What does the Bible say about church, especially with an eye towards local church. I bet a lot of you listeners are in this position of being maybe in a spot where you wonder what your connection's supposed to look like. There's a whole lot of local churches that have not met, and you might have stepped back and gone, well, I thought I was a part of, of a faithful local church, but they aren't interested in gathering, so I don't think they meet the list of things that a church does. Yes. So I guess what I was involved in was some sort of social club that closes down when uh, <laughs> asked to. Yes. Uh, what we did is we kind of went through a bunch of questions. We asked 
and, and we're still in the process of this, but what is the purpose of the capital C church, that organism that Stephen just referred to? Uh, are there any difference in the purpose of the local church versus the purpose of the big uh, organism of all of us believers? Do we have to be a part of the local church? Does the scripture say you have to be a part of a local church? Right, right, right. Uh, and then what is required in order to call it a church? Uh, and then lastly, we're trying to get to what are the non-negotiables for us to find in whatever gathering we commit to and kind of, I, I was meeting with an elder of one of the churches here in Salt Lake last week and he said, what are the things that if they, if the boxes weren't checked, you wouldn't go to that church, even if it was the only group of, of professed believers in your city? Wow, that's a great question. Um, and I, th I thought that was great. And then the the rest of it if it's not in that non-negotiables list in in acts 15 we see the first century church saying it seemed good to us to do x y and z and that is kind of what i'm also out to define with my group of guys is what are the things that we don't say these are critical but it seems good to us to do you know this right. type of music this we're going to do communion this often. We're going to engage the Holy Spirit in a meeting this way. It's been really interesting, but, but elders is a big one that comes up in this conversation because yes. I don't want to give away too much here, but I will say, I, I think that my, my thoughts on this have changed. I used to be one of these, well, there's not really such a thing as a local church organization in the Bible at all. And that's not true. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Paul says, as he's giving instructions for order, he says, I want you to do this as in all the churches. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a place where I think I was wrong when I thought, well, the, the Bible just talks about the church. But no, Paul says, there's lots of churches. And as it's done in the churches, I want you to do this like in a certain way. So the local church is not an, an extra biblical idea. And I think we are required implicitly to participate in a group of believers where there's more than just an ethereal, hey, brother, you and I are part of the church. Right, right. And maybe we don't have time to dig into all of that today, but, you know, we've talked about Matthew 18, church discipline. Well, that, yeah. that can't happen if we're just sort of notionally committed to the, the global body. Discipleship can't happen because you don't have any idea what I'm needing training in and what I need to be developed in. So how are you going to disciple me if I am not actually personally connected to you? I know this is not a finance episode, but financial co-commitment doesn't happen if we're not involved with a specific group of other believers who we can name and they're real yep. people. It's not just a, I'm a part of this movement and I read their stuff on the internet. Right. One of the things, though, that I think is relevant to this particular branch of the conversation is that um, I think elders is one of the things in the scripture that is required to call it a church. Um, yes. There's a lot of ways to do that. I think there's churches that call it a pastor and that's their elder. I, I don't think that's my preference and I don't think it's the most true to the instructions we've been left. However, I don't necessarily think it's sin. Uh, to say this person is is the elder we've got. For the most part, I think a plurality of men who are chosen based on meeting the qualifications that we're about to dive into, that's, that's the way that we've been instructed to set up the hierarchy in our church. It's important to me because when it comes down to the non-negotiables, I'm, I'm still sifting through those. But I think for me, there's only two. One of them is that the gospel is preached and the full counsel of scriptures brought to the front of teaching decisions and practice. And the other one is leadership that's qualified according to the New Testament. I did all that, that talking just then to get to, I think this is a really big deal. Uh, <laughs> the leadership that we in our homes have an understanding of leadership and the qualifications that the New Testament gives us for leadership in the church. And then how do we back into that and start it in the homes? I'm not willing to completely commit to that, but I think those are my only two, like... That's interesting. Bills ...to die on to say, whether or not I would ever go to that church, I could feel great about uh, recommending a church if the gospel is preached 
and the leadership is qualified according to the New Testament. I think I think maybe that's my position. But wow, that's really interesting. I know that that position hasn't you didn't roll out of bed thinking that that there you've you've endured some pain and grief and bumps along the way and you've arrived there um with with some travail right yeah we could do a whole a whole month series on what to do when your church goes sideways and and well you you said a mouthful just now and i was thinking um i had been wondering coming into today are we beginning a series and i think you just answered my question if we're going to present any percentage of the questions you just raised, we're starting a series. If you say that having el- having a little uh, group of qualified, they meet the qualifications elders, is a requirement, then would you say if there aren't, if you're somewhere where you can't find people who qualify, then you are by definition in the church planting business and that you have to now make disciples and raise up elders because that's what Paul did when he went into a new place. Yeah. And I was asked to be an elder at a church uh, years ago. And I said, you, you're crazy. I'm 30, whatever I was at the time, 34 years old. I'm not an elder, but the, we see elders being appointed in scripture that are not old guys. There is a preference and the qualifications I think you're going to talk to us about kind of lead us to say, well, an old guy is going to be more, more of a proven track record on a lot of these things, but it's not a must. But yeah, of course, if you show up in a town and there's no believers there, I mean, the second that, you, that somebody is converted to Christ, there's a church. So now we have a church. We have two believers that can gather. You have experience with this, right? Going into, into the UK and saying, yeah. I've, I've got a preach on the streets potentially and wait until I can get some disciples and let's make some elders someday. Yeah. I mean, age isn't built into the primary passage that I want to look at, but in a Jewish practice, you can't be an elder of a synagogue or anything else until you're at least 60 years old. 60 is the, is the starting age. I've always distrusted or looked askance at young churches who I know what they want. They want to create something that is culturally current. They want to do something that cool is, is I don't think maybe fair to say, but they want to do something that is relevant while being biblical. And what those young people should do is go enlist some old people to walk with them who have walked with the Lord a long time, or else you're untethered, scripturally speaking. So let's talk about what makes you an elder. Okay, let me just talk again about why this question is salient. It's because it's not because all everybody here needs to lead local churches. It's because you're already leading a local church, as I'm defining it, which is the smallest unit of the kingdom is your family. So, as Mark was saying to me before we started recording, you can be a thrice divorced newly married again, dad with a bunch of kids, and you can be three days old in your faith. And you are the pastor of that church, meaning that that family group, you're the guy. So the the descriptions I'm going to read through, you, you might think, I don't qualify for those, and I'm not going to qualify anytime soon for those. And anybody who was starting up a church would think, gosh, a guy who's had an addicted life like I have and who's still dealing with porn, I'm still dealing with an alcohol addiction, I'm still dealing with whatever. Fellas, I don't care how messed up you are. You could be bankrupt and addicted and all those things. and It doesn't change the position you have in your home because you're the father and you're the dad. So there's no qualifications except that you are that guy. You're the husband, you're the father. That means you're the pastor. And you start you, you start being um, a pastor for sure when you get married. And you've got one person to pastor and to take care of. So when we describe these, um, these are qualifications for an elder of a local congregation. But I believe for every man, these are 
these, these, this is a description of the life of Christ. This is, and you know, be like Jesus is only helpful to a point because I don't know what you mean when you say that these passages are helpful because they're specific and they, they detail what looking like Christ is when you are the leader of a group and you fathers, you're the leader of a group. So this is something that we should all aspire to. It doesn't say this applies to all fathers, but between us girls and nobody else that's watching, um, I think it applies to every, every father that we would want to walk this way. Because when your family starts combining with other families to make a congregation, um, you want to go, my, my faithfulness under my own roof qualifies me to, to be a voice. Okay, so, ready? Uh, so I'll just say I made it a, a goal that I'm going to study the pastoral epistles, the letters of the letters of Paul to the young men who he's training. They're his disciples, and he's training them to be church leaders. And I'm, I think I'm going to be in uh, 1 Timothy 3 for a while because this stuff needs unpacking. I, I want to understand. I want to understand it very well. So... I'll just read through it and and we'll make some comments. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. If any man, and I'm going to read from the Amplified so that we can get as much flavor as possible. If any man eagerly seeks the office of overseer. Now, I'll just tell you what I know thus far. Okay, so when it says overseer, there's a couple of different um, translations of that word. Some people refer to these people as bishops. Um, superintendent is also given as a possible translation. The best word is just overseer. It's just someone who who watches. Some people even even describe even use the word elder here, but it's just someone who's watching over. And it says he desires an excellent task. Now I have always thought that that phrase meant. It's good for him to desire this role. I always thought it was an attaboy. That's a good thing for you to want. But actually, the, the, the way this is written in Greek says that what, he is, what he's trying to put his hands on is a great work. Like the overseeing of God's bride is a great, it's a, it's a powerful, important thing. So, he should tiptoe towards this thing. And I think God wants us to have the ambition of, of leading in his kingdom. I think he wants us to be great in his kingdom. But we should know, boy, we are touching something that is holy and sacred and profound here. So now this overseer, now we're getting into verse 2 of First Timothy 3. Now this overseer must be, and here comes our list. He must be blameless and beyond reproach. I don't know if we should pull these one at a time or just read through it. What do you think, Mark? Read it first and then we'll come back. He should be blameless and beyond reproach. The husband of one wife. Self-controlled. Sensible. Respectable. Hospitable. Able to teach. Not given to or prone to to wine drinking or addicted to wine is how that's often translated not a bully nor quick-tempered and hot-headed but gentle and considerate free from the love of money not greedy for wealth and its inherent power he is financially ethical come on come on abe's wallet free from the love of money. He must manage here. Here it comes for every father anywhere who claims to follow Christ. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. That is keeping them respectful and well-behaved. That's part of the job. Verse five is a big one. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And he must not be a new convert so that he will not behave stupidly. I love that. 
and become conceited by appointment to this high office, and fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil for his arrogance and pride. And he must have a good reputation and, and be well thought of by those outside the church so that he will not be discredited and fall into that devil's trap of thinking he's the only one that's right. There's a, diff- there's a separate section here but I'm going to read it because it has to do with just being a servant. The word that we're used to seeing here is deacons. And I grew up in a church where there's, if you had, if you were a deacon, you had a little pin that you put on your suit lapel every morning. And we're the deacons of this church. And I'm not demeaning those wonderful men who I knew that were deacons, but, but I grew up in a place where deacon was kind of an esteemed thing of honor. And the word deacon simply means slave or servant. So these are the toilet plungers of the church. These are the trash picker uppers. These are the car parkers. And so listen to what it says. Now we're talking about, we're talking about janitors here. We're talking about toilet cleaners. And it says these slave servant people also must be men worthy of respect. And built into that word respect is, this is from the Amplified, honorable, financially ethical, and of good character. Not double-tongued. They don't speak half-truths. They don't manipulate God's word. They don't manipulate language to get things their way or to please people. They, they also have that not addicted to wine thing. They're not prone to drinking. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. Do you see finances coming up in both of these? But upholding and fully understanding the mystery that is the true doctrine of the Christian faith with a clear conscience resulting from behavior consistent with spiritual maturity. These men must first be tested. Then if they're found to be blameless and beyond reproach in their Christian lives, let them serve as deacons. And then it starts talking about women. I'm going to skip that. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. We are hearing that again. And good managers of their children and their own households. That verse 12 sounds exactly like verse 4. Must uh, lead his children. We're talking about people cleaning toilets here. They have to be good managers of their own children and their own households. For those who have served well as slave servants to the church, gain a high standing, having a good reputation among all of the congregations, and great confidence in the faith which is founded on and centered in Christ Jesus. My first reaction to this is, how many people would be on any church's staff if the toilet washers had to follow these qualifications? I venture a guess that our church staffs are are stuffed with people who just want a job that feels like a good um, nonprofit. I'm 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 a nice I'm a nice guy for doing this. Opposed to this this deacon requirements are stout. Anyways, I'm just gonna say again, I don't care who you are. I think these things should be carved on your forehead or your bathroom mirror or something as this is where I'm going. This is who I want to develop into. Blameless and beyond reproach. I just want to say this about blameless and beyond reproach. To me, that doesn't mean that there's no sin in your life. Uh, Mark and I are around each other enough to know the sin that both of us fall into. There are personality sins and there's family sins and, you know... You can just have a bad day and you kick the dog occasionally. Beyond reproach doesn't mean sinless. I believe that beyond reproach means that everything in your life you bring before the Lord. So if you do kick the dog, you're still sensitive to hear God's voice. And you can, you can feel God folding his arms and looking at you sideways like, what was that? And you immediately go towards repentance. And you just go, I agree with you, Lord. I was, that was anger. I I got short tempered there. If you don't think that you have any sin in your life, fast for three days. And then we'll just see what comes out of you. I can tell you what comes out of me is impatience, selfishness, self-pity, all number of things. 
those don't disqualify me from being called blameless and beyond reproach. It's what do I do when I'm confronted with sin? Now, I can jump forward to when we get to to wine, and it says not addicted to and prone to wine. So I would ask you, are any of your sins addiction sins? You can't shake it because it just recurs forever, over and over and over and over with you. Uh, that could disqualify you. And I would just say, well, we just need to work on those things. Um, don't make don't make deals with your wife or your kids or anybody. Go, you know, this is just the way that daddy is. Daddy's, you know, addicted. And daddy has a problem. The world tells me that I was raised broken and I was wired wrong. And I'm just going to be that way forever. No, you have something that you're going for. You're going for this man, this, this qualified as elder man, and this man is not addicted. So that means there's no repeated patterns of sin that you don't repent for and fight against. I just want to say that because a lot of times we, when we read blameless and beyond reproach, we're like, skip to the next section. I know I'm already out of the running of this and I'm never going to be blameless or beyond reproach. I don't think that means sinless. I think that means there's nothing in your life that isn't accounted for that you haven't agreed with God about and you're trying to walk in repentance. When you're talking, it reminds me of, I've talked about Pilgrim's Progress a couple times on here recently, but the man in the iron cage that he comes across is by mm. far the most impactful moment in that whole book to me. Mm. He, he comes to a guy who says, I just kept ignoring the voice of God until he decided to quit speaking. Wow. And the this is the probably the scariest guy in the whole book to me because it's like i don't know about you but i have ignored the voice oh of yes i have i i think there's a, a warning in romans one that says if you keep doing that god could just say have at it yep and it's obviously based on the list of sins that follows it's a dark spiral that happens there yeah let me say more about that because i know it's so common for men i know that most likely, if you're listening to this, you don't have a relationship with another man where the trust is so high that you would confess sexual sin to him, um, like pornography. And I, I just got to tell you, um, you've got to confess. You got. I don't care how immature the person is that you're that you find. I mean, of course, you want to be careful about and, and not find somebody that's going to, you know, use it against you. You want to find, ideally, you want to find somebody who, who knows God and loves you, but we're commanded to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. Think of that dude in the iron cage. And if God's telling you to do something, even if God's telling you to do something, like I feel God wants me to do a job change, or he wants me to dump this girl that I'm with, and I just don't want to do it. You should find another man and tell him that. You should just tell him. I just got to confess this thing is inside me. If you want to be broken of addiction and you want these secret sins to fall off of you, you've got to bring them out into the light. It is a powerful step. It's it's might not be the last thing you have to do to fight that thing, but you're going to have to do it. It's, it's a necessary step. So let me proceed. The husband of one wife. I'm just going to quote some commentaries on this that both Jesus and Paul affirm people who are single for the kingdom and for their whole life they're going they're going to be single so they can pursue the kingdom. So this verse is not saying that those people can never be in leadership because they have to have a wife. What it's saying is you can't be a polygamist or you can't be a, a serial, somebody who uses up a wife, throws her aside, gets another wife, uses her up, throws her aside, and that's the pattern of your life. Um, you won't be qualified for this. So I know I'm talking to guys who are in hard marriages or in problematic marriages, and I know that one of the thoughts that go through your mind is, wouldn't it be easier if I just walked away, found another woman, and... The scripture calls you to be a one woman man. So I can tell you that it's God's will that you stay with the woman that you're covenanted with right now. And I know that it might be very hard. 
I've been a pastor for dozens of years. I know really awful stories, and I know about pain in people, and I know it might be really hard for you, and I'm telling you, you stay there. This is a one-woman man that verse 2 describes. You stay there. He's self-controlled. He's sensible. Now, the Bible is going to talk more about finances specifically, but I'm just thinking of the last time that I had an uncomfortable conversation with my wife is she told me, I feel like you go off on these prophetic tangents and it feels undependable to me. It feels like you're a little crazy. That's what it feels like. And I feel like um, unstable because you you go off on these things. Well, I'm just thinking about, well, like, honey, I, we got to take risks if we're going to live life of prophecy. And at the same time, I really need to hear that because I, I've really got to measure my, I've got to measure my steps and measure my words because this verse two says that you got to be sensible. This is just an example. Are your finances sensible? If, if a financial professional looked at your finance, we'd go, you are nuts at what you're doing. Or would they go, no, this this makes sense. And I know you have the heart to, to give to needy people, et cetera. But no, this is sensible. When people look at your life, do they think that's crazy how these people live? Or do they think that's sensible? And, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm a songwriter. I'm a, I'm a frontier guy. I like to, to be seen as strange sometimes. And, and there it is in black and white, to be self-controlled and sensible. So that includes finances. It includes lifestyle, etc. Respectable is, is similar. When people are looking, looking in at your life, would, do they go, that, the faithfulness of guy's life, man, I respect him. Or do they go, they're a little weird and wacky. Um, and, and we're homeschoolers. I mean, <laughs> I want the character of my life to overcome any heebie-jeebies that my neighbors have about me being a homeschooler and flying an Israel flag out front of my house, etc. Because this says respectable. And then it says hospitable. This is very practical for your home. Do you bring people into your home? Do you host people? For dinners, do you bring people in? Do you say, we could meet at my house? And you put a kettle on and you make them toast or put some cookies out and say, "I yeah, let's have you. What do you need? What can I get you? That's hospitable. And by the way, I don't think this is taught enough. As a Christian, this isn't an option to be hospitable. We have to open our homes and invite other believers and ideally non-believers into our home, and our house has to become a meeting place. Your your house has to be a place where non-family members feel welcome and they know there's an open door. That's not an option. You can, I mean, you're starting to see, wow, we're really not very many steps away from being a church leader. Like, and I mean, and I don't mean just my family, I mean a, a congregation of other, because... I'm inviting people in. I'm concerned with whether I seem respectable or not. I'm self-controlled. Um, and then and then we go into the very next one is able to teach. Well, who do you think you're teaching? Step one is you're teaching your family. And step two is you're teaching other disciples or people that you're trying to impact. And what are you teaching, by the way? You're teaching God's word. You're teaching the Bible. You're teaching truth. Well, that's a big one. And I know that some guys, well, I don't feel like I'm gifted as a teacher. You don't have to feel gifted as a teacher. You have a job to teach your children, period. You have to teach them how to behave. You have to teach them to put the napkin in your lap. And you have to teach them, here's what we believe about God. Here's what the Bible says. You might think, I'm not up to that task. I know guys that just go, we read five Bible verses at our at our dinner table every night. It's just one of our little habits. And the guy's thinking, I'm not a teacher. If you start doing that with your children, you will become a teacher because questions will arise. And you'll have to go, oh, gosh, I think there's another Bible verse that says this. I don't know. Let me look that up. If you put God's word in front of your family, it will put you on the hook to develop teaching skills. 
obviously you can see how that would translate to people outside your home. We just finished reading Daniel at our dinner table and I have little kids and it was going great when we were talking about the lion's den and Shadrach. And yeah. I can teach that. We can talk about being bold for the Lord, but uh, when it gets into the fourth horn that breaks off and starts talking to the other horns and yes, the prophecies, I'm like, Oh no, dad didn't prepare. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of good. My wife was gently ribbing me and saying, uh, you can't just read that and then say, all right, let's eat. You, you need to do some homework and tell us what the heck that's all about. That's great. That's great. Then you go, I'm going to have to find some commentary on this and I'm going to start comparing it to other passages. And boy, I, I'm going to become a student. And I'll tell you, just Googling it at the table is not sufficient because you'll end up on some kook job website that says, <laughs> Well, this is because, you know, Nancy Pelosi is the goat. And right. It's like, whoa, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just make it through this section and then we'll wrap up. Um, he's not addicted to wine. We made that point. Um, watch out for your local micro breweries. Not a bully, not quick tempered and hot headed. I know that because I love the Bible, and I call myself a Christian, I know that I'll be seen as a conservative period for the rest of my life. I just know that's, that label's probably just coming with the territory. And when I look around at those people who are called conservatives and see people who are bullies or quick-tempered or hot-headed, I look at people on Twitter, they go, there could just be a headline that comes out and they go insane. I look at all of the screaming that happens on on Facebook from people who call themselves pastors and just, just I mean, just screaming. And I think, wait, let, did you not read this? It says, not a bully, not quick-tempered, not hot-headed, but gentle and considerate. It doesn't say you're good with kids, but I look for people who are, you're good with kids. You're gentle and considerate. You can imagine what it feels like to be the other person. Then it says, free from the love of money, not greedy for wealth and its inherent power. You're financially ethical. We've say, we say this a lot around here, but finances are not something that the local church organization, the institution, they're never going to really stick their noses in this area with you. Do you know why? It's because they're most interested that you will come to their stuff and you will give them some of your money. So if you are a greedy person, they might talk about you with doors closed, but if you give enough money, I can all but guarantee they won't call you a greedy person and nobody's going to come to correct you. And I'm telling you, as one family leader to another family leader, that the love of money and being greedy for wealth and its power is unethical and it's out of step for people like us. So we have to put measures in place. When you feel that greed is coming near, the first thing you should do, I could like to quiz you right now, is to confess it. Find some guys around you. Confess it. Just say, I'm dealing with this. I think God's saying this. Of course, I'm going to walk forward in repentance and then put some measures in place so that you're not greedy. Giving is a, is a nice thing to do. You could, you could put a, a lid on your earnings for a year. If you got a great job at P&G and you think there will probably be some bonuses at the end of this year, and I know that my greed would have me maximize those bonuses so that I can roll around in a bigger pile of money. You could say, well, I'm just going to max out what I earn this year. And I'm if I make more money than that, it's not coming into my house because I feel that I, I can't be trusted with it right now, etc. Greed is not okay. I think it's 1 Corinthians. But greed is mentioned right along with homosexuality as things that will keep you out of the kingdom of God like grievous sin to God. Greed is no joke. And we're all for growing money around here. And we're all for responsibility. And we're, we're actually all for godly wealth, actually. Um, but being greedy for it is not okay. And if you think that's a hard uh, 
thing to needle to thread, you're correct. He must manage his own household well. And now we're going to be described. Now it's going to be told to us what managing your own household well is. Keeping your children under control with all dignity. Keeping them respectful and well-behaved. I could go on and on about this, but I'll just say that doesn't just mean respectful to you because you pound your fist and raise your voice and you're bigger than them. You develop self-control in them. You develop in them a respect for everyone who's in authority, whether it's a babysitter or a teacher or anybody else, you develop that into them and well-behaved. So that would mean that they're disciplined, they, they respond to correction wherever it comes from, and they have self-control in themselves. That, that means they know when to stop eating, they, they wouldn't make a meal out of sugar, they, they're not going to you know, kick somebody in the shin and run away. I'm just embarrassed is the correct word for how lenient the church at large is with children and their, their development, their training. We're told the way that it's supposed to be. I'm looking at it. It's in verse four. We're told how we're supposed to have our children act. And when people act like you're putting upon your children some unrighteous expectation. They got to be free. They got to be themselves. But you're just violating scripture. You're just tell, you're just putting the finger up to God. Going, we're not going to do what you want. No, this is the job de- description. This is what we're called to do. Um, we we have we have uh, many times um, talked about whether Abraham's wallet gets into discipline and child raising waters because I have many thoughts. I know Mark does as well, but we can suffice for today to say this is part of the man of God is that he does this in his home. Lastly, it says he must not be a new convert so that he will not behave stupidly and become conceited by appointment to this high office and fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil for his arrogance and pride. Um, Anytime a celebrity or athlete comes to the Lord, I rejoice. I just heard this week, I was, you'd have to know, you'd have to know all the way of my history with the Houston Oilers. You'd have to know the Bengals' horrible history with the Steelers to know what a pleasure it was to watch the Steelers um, flame out this past weekend in the in the playoffs. And the sinful, okay, I'll say it, the sinful, the schadenfreude, schadenfreude that I fe- felt at watching a Ben Roethlisberger, you know, throw many interceptions. I know he's a, he's an Ohio guy, but... Uh, we don't. Have, there's no love lost if you're a Bengals fan, which I, I've tried. I've tried to be. I really, I've really tried. Anyways, guess what I heard this week? What? I, I heard that Ben Roethlisberger has come to the Lord. Wow. And that he's he's re, he's presently reading um, Brian Tome's uh, devotional book, and he's giving it to friends. Huh. Well, that's all. That's all great, actually. <laughs> So I saw whoever told me that I said, well, you've stolen the joy that I felt from that, uh, from that, uh, football game, but you've given me another kind of joy, which is that's wonderful. And you know what else I know, according to this verse, I know that the church at large will love to thrust Ben Roethlisberger. If he is born again, they would love to put him on stages everywhere. This is what we do with everybody. This happened to Daryl Strawberry in the 80s. He was still addicted to cocaine, and we couldn't wait to put him on stages and make him give his testimony. We have somehow thrust Justin Bieber into leadership and think that Kanye West should be leading church services. Do you want to talk about Daryl Strawberry? Well, I just will never forget as a little kid when I was at Mega Church Baptist Land the preacher one Sunday, the, the pastor who was delivering the message was none other than last week's most recent convert in Dallas, Neon Dion Sanders. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. It was like in the news that he had come to Christ. And then that weekend he was preaching Unbelievable. Uh, in front of 15,000 people. Unbelievable. That's an embarrassment. So this says, um, he must not be a new convert. You know, 
if you've heard our, I did, I don't know what this is called, Mark, you might be able to call this title up, but we, we put it on a podcast once. It was a conversation that I had had with men around a campfire and we used, we talked about the different stages of growth in, in the Greek and different stages of sonship and what those different things are called. And I see, this is what I see about this new convert thing. When Paul was born again, Paul was very high up in, in, the, in Judaism at the time. So, when, so Paul might have thought, because I'm a leader, I know Torah, I have a blameless life according to outsiders. When I'm born again, he might think I should just be transferred into leadership of the Messianic church now. But he was told, no, and this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, no, you have to be like a child. You're going to have to become like a paideon because you're going to have to be raised up in my character. You've just been born again. You're going to have to be raised up and you might end up as a leader again, but you're going to have to start at the bottom. Do you have the, do you know what the title of that one was? We us with an H, H-U-I-O-S, WIOS level maturity. WIOS level maturity, yeah, H-U-I-O-S, WIOS level maturity is when I talked about those stages. And um, you nobody comes to the Lord at WIOS, which is a full-grown son. Everybody comes to the Lord. We come napios as a newborn baby, and then we grow through these stages. So it's insane to think that you would have a two-year-old be the leader of a family unit. That's insane. Similarly, it's insane that you would hand the car keys of your entire congregation to Neon Dion Sanders after he said yes to Jesus for the first time. It's dangerous for the church, and it's dangerous for Justin Bieber, and it's dangerous for Kanye West because they just haven't been grown up. I love those guys and I'm praying for those guys and I want the best for them and we must not thrust them into church leadership. Similarly, if you've come to the Lord, you're brand new, I would say just start walking with just start walking your family through some basics of following Jesus, just the basic things that you're learning. Talk to your family about prayer. Talk to your family about what the Bible is. You are still the leader of your family, but you're working towards this this First Timothy three description of what being a leader is all about. So, this is one of those. We're going to come back to this uh, next week, but this is one of those episodes when I, I I would like just a prayer mark for for guys who are listening to this. Maybe they feel overwhelmed. Maybe they feel challenged at hearing some of this stuff. Maybe they feel convicted by God about one or two specific things that they know that they're not they're not measuring up and and it might just be a godly move for some guys who are hearing this to just simply go god i i just want to agree that this is where i'm going i mean that that would be a great move for some guys just go i just agree with you god that this is what you want out of me and someday i want to get there with you or whatever but i i just feel like this is this is that kind of a kind of a broadcaster i'd like to end with prayer would you pray for us mark let's do it Father, I'm thankful for your word, uh, for all of the good things you left us to Amen. hear. That um, you you didn't just leave us and say, I hope you figure out the code, um, but you gave us your word and it's so good. Uh, thank you for, for leaving it for us and for just the clear instructions. Uh, thank you that we can read it for our whole lives and still be unpacking things because of the work of your Holy Spirit, um, that you uh, illuminate it for us. Uh, and so I ask you to do that for every person that's listening to this podcast, that you would take the, the scripture that Stephen and I pulled out that I think you pointed out to us as we were studying, and that you would drill it into the hearts and, and into the mind of people who are listening and that that could just because of your uh, awesome kingship and and providence that you could do totally different things in the different people who are listening to this podcast and that the the marching orders that come out of hearing these scriptures would be just perfectly suited to the guys who are listening to it. I do ask for you to raise up elders 
and first the families that are connected to us, even if they're only connected to us because they listen to this once in a while, um, or even the, the people who are close friends of ours who are hearing this. I ask that you would lead us all towards that we also level maturity and towards eldership. And I ask that cities, that there would be cities that elders are meeting in these cities at the gates, just like is described in your word. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that we would aspire not only to get there on behalf of our families and on behalf of little churches that we're part of, but on behalf of whole cities that we would be able to um, judge wisely and lead well because we've been faithful in small things uh, and been given bigger and bigger assignments. So I ask that for every guy that's listening to that. I ask that for every family that's, that's listening to this podcast, that, that you would start to develop leadership in, in new ways and that we would look like what you describe in your word. Amen. Amen. Anything else before we close? No, we got to close. We've been, We've been running these people long for a few weeks now. I know. Well, we're going to be back with more of this same stuff next week. And thanks for listening and bless you as you do your part to build up uh, Abraham's wallet in your home. So for Abraham's wallet, I am Steve Emanuel. I'm Mark Parrott. See you next week.